Hello everyone. I know it is starting to feel like we're stuck in a little bit of a time loop with everything feeling the same every single day. And I know that it is tough facing what we are facing as a people. But just know that uh, as leaders at Riverside, we are praying for you. We miss you and we're trusting that over this weekend and in this season, God is going to do something incredible in your life. We're really excited that we get to celebrate Easter the way we are. And I want you to journey with me into what the first Easter would have been like all those 2,000 years ago. Steve, last week, and I hope you have listened to that sermon, set that up for us with Palm Sunday. He spoke through the many prophecies that were fulfilled when Jesus came into Jerusalem uh, on the donkey as he proclaimed himself king. People started to get really excited about what this meant as they were praising Hosanna, Hosanna, and realizing that maybe this is what is going to be fulfilled. Everything we've hoped for in the coming of a Messiah got everybody filled with real hope as uh, they experienced those events in Jerusalem. And that week led up to today and the 24 hours around Jesus' arrest, uh, betrayal, his torture, crucifixion, and his death. It was a, a big time for everyone there. And Jesus knew what his ultimate mission was going to be. And so he prepared his disciples for what was going to happen. And we know this in what was called the, the Last Supper. Sitting down with his disciples and preparing them for what was coming. Over a meal, he took some bread and very symbolically, he took the bread and, and broke it, passing it to them saying, my body's going to be broken. You're going to remember this. And again, just imagine the jug of red wine being poured as he says, this is my blood that's going to be shed and poured out for you. A very visual representation of what was going to be happening the next day with Jesus. We know then that he went out and prepared himself in earnest prayer with the Father, which led to his um, betrayal. And his arrest, his torture, death um, on the cross. But while that was all going, we also know that there were some massive supernatural events taking place. We know that while he was up on the cross and at the time that he was uh, crying out saying it was finished, the sun darkens. We know that something happened in the temple where the very curtain that separated everybody from the very presence of God was torn top to bottom. An incredible amount of things were going on. Well, Jesus was up on the cross. And as we spoke about prophecies being fulfilled in Old Testament books like Zechariah, which Steve again spoke about last week, we're going to look at another set of prophecies that were spoken about from the prophet Isaiah this time. And so why don't you, in your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 53. And I'm going to read some verses. And what we're going to do on this Good Friday is we're going to go through these verses and have a look at what it actually meant for Jesus to be up on that cross. And so, this is what it says in Isaiah 53. We're going to read from verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our affirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. And so we see in verse 4, the phrase, and I I love this, and so important to some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning, is it says at the start there, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. I like what it says in Job 9.33, Job uh, lamenting, he says, If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. And as we're thinking about the work of Jesus on the cross on this Good Friday, the first thing that we can celebrate and rejoice is that we have a mediator. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Scripture tells us that we were separated from God, that we were his enemies. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you have needed to have someone mediate for you. I mean, the fact that we have a job description that somebody can fulfill as a conflict mediator, we understand that there's often need in conflict, in negotiations for someone to act as the go-between between the two parties. In this case, it was God and us, his enemies. Someone needed to mediate and to go and reconcile and do that work of mediation. And so when we see there in verse 4, it says, Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. What Jesus is doing when you see him up there on the cross, one of the main roles of Jesus that's being fulfilled there is that of mediating. We see that uh, shadow of that work throughout most of the Old Testament. There is the function of high priest. The function of the high priest was once a year to go into the very presence of God to make an offering, a sacrifice where uh, blood was spilt Uh, To deal with the sins of God's people. The high priest was mediating between God and God's people. It was never sufficient because it had to be done over and over again. But what we see very symbolically when the veil, the, the temple curtain that separated the very presence of God and everyone else being torn. We see the sufficiency of the mediating work of Jesus. In that moment, up on the cross, when he cries out, it is finished. One of the key things that we know and understand is it was Jesus on our behalf, acting for us as the go-between with us and God. And the joy is that it was sufficient. And so we can celebrate that together this morning, that he went on our behalf and it was enough Verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Again, we know that scripture tells us that the cost of sin is death. 
That's why when the high priest went into the very presence of God, something had to die. It was something that was alive and it's now dead. We see that blood had to be spilt for there to be forgiveness of sin. I know that sounds hectic. It was done so it didn't have to be our blood that was spilt. And the reality is that we know that sin causes death. I think what's happening now in the world gives us a little bit of insight into the reality of that. When the lockdown's over and you get to walk out in the streets again and yet to ask someone, what's wrong with the world? We know that everybody's answers can be boiled down to two things. Floods, fires, earthquakes, viruses. There's things wrong with the world. And then we know there's things wrong with people. We've seen that. Greed, selfishness. We see anger, murder, some of those crimes. There is a problem. We are living in the reality of what happens when we live in a world that has sin. And that causes death. And so since the very beginning, when we see the story of God's people, something has always died because of sin. And Jesus being our mediator, which we've already established, we see in this verse, he was crushed for our sin. At that moment when Jesus died, crying out, it is finished. Him dying again. When we think about the work of Jesus this morning, when we think about the cross, what we celebrate, what we rejoice in is the moment Jesus died, when he was crushed for our sin, we know that that should have been us. But it was him instead. We again know that that was the final time something was going to die for sin because the work of Jesus was going to be enough for you and me who believe in him. That in that moment that he was crushed, him taking upon our sin and dealing with that, we then have peace. I love what it says there in Isaiah 53, that the punishment that was put on him becomes our peace. Now this is very real implications for God's people at that time. Remember, they are have are living in a time where they have increasing hope because the king has come the promised one has come the messiah has come they celebrated his arrival into jerusalem what this meant for them as a people and what jesus is talking about or what we are seeing in the prophecy and what we are seeing in this text is that the work of jesus goes so much further than the temporal The peace that he brings is not the peace that comes from a military leader throwing over the Roman government that was oppressing God's people at the time. If Jesus came as a military leader, the peace he would have brought would have been only temporal. And if we look at what it says, by his wounds were healed, again having very real implications for us. If we are only thinking about him coming to give us a temporary healing again that wouldn't be sufficient because it wouldn't last but the reality of the death of Jesus for sin and the punishment on him bringing us peace and those wounds bringing us healing 
It's talking about the eternal implications of that. The peace that I have right now because of the finished work of Jesus means that I have eternal peace and eternal healing because of what Jesus has done. And this is massive for us in the context of the lives that we are living in. Verse 6 goes on to say, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What I love about what's going on here in verse 6, it gives no one an out. Every single one of us is guilty. As we stand before a holy God, every single one of us has fallen short. Like um, sheep, we have all gone astray. Each one of us has turned to their own uh, way. And what I love about this is that because every single one of us is guilty, every single one of us receives the blessing of God's salvation because all of what we have done has been laid upon Jesus. And so what we see in this final verse is the incredible grace and mercy because we have all turned to our own way, because we have all gone astray, because we have all fallen short of God's holy standard and because he's laid all of that on Jesus. What we deserved was to be crushed for our sin. What we deserved was to experience the punishment of God. But in his grace and mercy, he puts that on Jesus. And so I want to encourage you. Many of us are struggling with this idea of freedom at the moment. Being so confined to the spaces that we find ourselves in. But today we get to celebrate eternal freedom and peace. If it was not for our Savior who went on our behalf. If it wasn't for our Savior who did uh, this work that was sufficient for us, we wouldn't know what it is to have everlasting peace and everlasting freedom. So I want to encourage you as uh, people, families, individuals, to really consider Jesus on the cross and the work that he did while he was there. The supernatural going on that ensures for us our eternal salvation when we believe in him. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm just so thankful that you were our mediator. That you went before us in front of the Father. And you were the offering, the sin offering where you were crushed for our sin. It was all laid on you. And as a result, we can know everlasting peace and freedom. Amen. Now that we are getting ready to take communion, either by yourself or with your family, let's read again from God's word, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, from verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I have also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
what I'd love to encourage you to do again, whether you're by yourself or with your family, is as you take and break bread together, pray and give thanks. And in the same way with the cup, you take it and pray and give thanks together.